Thank you for listening to a Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. If you need any information about our church, or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at praisechapelkingman.com. Hallelujah. Well, I'm going to tell you, we have had one awesome weekend so far. Many of you already know that we had our men's discipleship on Friday, and then we had our volunteer dinner on uh, Saturday, and John Morgan was with us in those uh, services, and, and he spoke to us, and I cannot tell you uh, how deep and rich the ministry really was to us. And then this morning at 8.30, he, he uh, uh, just ministered to us and, and spoke to our lives, and it, it just was such a rich, rich sermon. And he says he's going to do it again this morning. And so we're looking forward. Those of you that were here earlier, you're going to know that uh, you're in for a treat because the second time is always better, amen? And I don't know how you improve on what he did at 8.30, but I'm sure it'll be uh, uh, even deeper and even uh, more impactful in our lives because that's just the way it is in the kingdom. The kingdom is never subtraction. It is always multiplication. Can you say amen? And you know what? Somewhere along the line, I believe that your life is going to be different from this message. So let's welcome John Morgan as he comes to the platform. Tell him how much we love him. Appreciate him. Praise God. Well, good morning. You're sitting beside somebody unbelievably good looking. You can check that out right now. It's a service I do to all the single people and just make it okay. Well, we've had a fantastic weekend, as Pastor said, and we had a great night with the men on Friday night. All the men in the house, oh, oh, was a good night. And uh, we ate pizza and more pizza and leftover pizza. It was great. And then we got to hang out. And then last night, got to speak to all the volunteers, all the people that make this happen on a Sunday. I think we should give a round of applause to everybody that makes church happen. And we, we, couldn't do, we couldn't do this without a whole heap of people participating uh, right from the parking lot through to the nursery and then everything that happens in the sanctuary. And we, we love and appreciate all of you and uh, getting to know your pastors a little bit better. And I'm in Arizona in the middle of a Chicago winter. How good is that? The airline sent me a winter advisory today for Chicago that it's going to be pelting down snow all week. And I thought, I'm in Arizona. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the weatherman told me so. So I'd love if you go in your Bible, turn with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18. That's what I'm going to be reading from this morning, Matthew chapter 18. And I'm going to read from verse 23. Uh, if you don't have a Bible... Then they're going to put the scriptures up behind me. I always encourage people, make sure you get a Bible. There's no reason in 2019 why you shouldn't have a Bible. And if you've got a smartphone, I encourage you to get uh, the YouVersion Bible app. How many people have got the YouVersion Bible app on their phone? Downloaded it for free. It's wonderful. If you don't own a smartphone, then stay in the Hilton and Jack of Gideons. But whatever you need to do, whatever you need to do, get a Bible. It'll change your life. It starts off in verse uh, 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, Jesus is telling a parable here. It's a story. So he's not reporting on a real king that he met. It's not something he's read in the news and he's just repeating this back. This is a story. It's an illustration. And so everything that he's using here is deliberate, like no, no words are accidental. He's using them for a reason. So this number 10,000 and talents is deliberate. The reasoning he's using the number 10,000 was in uh, Greek counting or in his day. This is like a mind-blowing number. Now, it may not seem that huge now. Uh, we obviously use bigger numbers, but he's using it for effect. Now, I'm not sure what your family uses. Uh, when we want to outdo somebody with a number, we use the number kajillion. Not even sure it's real. But if it's like, I love you, I love you more. I love you 10 times, I love you kajillion. That's how we, it's, it's, and, and, and the talent was the largest weight that they would use to measure out gold, silver, or bronze. Uh, a, a lot of Bible historians tell us it's probably around about 75 pounds. And so there's this huge number and this huge weight. 
Bible says he was not able to pay his master and he commanded that he be sold with his wife, children and all that he had and that payment would be made. In that day, if you owed money and you couldn't pay it, they would say, okay, to pay the debt, we want you, want your life. But this debt is so big that he says, I'll take you, uh, I'll take your wife, uh, we'll take your children, your lineage. In fact, let's just take everything that you've got. To give you an idea on how big this debt was, a talent was equivalent to about 20 years salary for the average worker. So this guy is 200,000 years of salary in debt. I made somebody feel a lot better about their credit card bill right now. You're like, Mavis, it's not that bad after all. Let's go shopping this afternoon at Walmart. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I'll pay you all. The master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, here's the contrast uh, of, of the parable. A denarii was equivalent to about a day's salary for the average worker. So this guy finds somebody who owes him one third of a year of salary. The ser servant laid hands on him, took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. His fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not. But he went and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. In this passage, there are two major players. You have the king. Let's call him the cajillionaire. He's got the money and the resources, the resolve, to when he is confronted with the situation where somebody owes him an unpayable debt and asks him, look, just be patient with me and I'll pay it back moves with compassion, obviously doesn't move with intelligence. Because if it was intelligent, you're like, sorry, bro, I don't have 200,000 years to wait. Move with compassion, but it's got the money, the resources and the resolve and the mindset to cut a check and to pay the bill and say, we're done here. That's the first guy. The second guy is the guy that was just forgiven all of that debt, wiped out an unpayable debt, then meets somebody who owes him a payable debt. When asked to do the exact same thing that he asked, please have patience with me and I'll pay you. That was doable, but will not have grace, will not have patience, will not have mercy and throws him into jail until the debt be paid. Two major players in this parable, the king and the servant. If you could take the name king out and you could take the name servant out and we could throw your name in there, which one would you want to be? I want to talk a little bit about that then this morning. I want to talk about how to have that cajillionaire mindset. But before we do that, let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it's alive, powerful, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Often reads us more than we're reading it. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So God, I pray that your word would go in deep today and change us from the inside out. We want to leave better than when we came in. You always have an agenda. Your word never returns void. And I pray, God, that you would help me prophetically tailor make this message for the men and women that are in this service this morning. Work with us, I pray. Breathe on us, Holy Spirit. Lord God, bring revelation and open our eyes to see things that maybe we never saw before and change us, God, we pray. More than anything, Jesus, I ask you, please, God, help me not to be boring. God, I pray for the people that are here in this service. Help them not to be boring either. That's always really horrible in Jesus' name. And everyone said, I think that's a fair deal. How many of you uh, have ever been asked a question that you were a little bit afraid to answer because you, you felt like the question was loaded? It had an agenda. Anybody ever? Yeah, okay. 
we're on the same place. Uh, my daughter will do that. My youngest daughter, I have three daughters. My eldest is 29, then 28, and then 19. My baby, Brooke, she's 19. And uh, her uh, whole job in life is to rule and reign me, I think. And, um, but, but she'll send me a text every now and then. Hey, Dad, will you do me a favor? And then that's it. Like no details. Just period. And I'm always terrified to answer because um, I want to know what am I signing up for? Like I know there's an agenda behind the question. I'd like to know. My, now my wife is the queen of the question with the agenda. It'll be late at night and we'll just turn the light out. We'll just get under the sheets, just get comfortable in bed. And I'll roll over and look at her stunningly gorgeous face. And she'll look back at this and... Uh, and then she'll say to me with that beautiful voice of her, she goes, hey, babe. And I'll be like, hey, babe. And she'll be like, were you thinking about going upstairs and getting yourself a drink? And I'll be like, no, I wasn't really. Why? And she goes, well, I just thought that while you're up there, maybe you could grab me a drink. <laughs> and many people have been asked a question with an agenda before. In Matthew chapter 18, there are two verses, uh, two questions, should I say. And, and both questions that are asked have an agenda. The first kicks off the chapter and kicks off the whole thought about what Jesus is going to talk about. The disciples come to Jesus and they ask him this question. In, in your kingdom, who has the authority? Like, like how do we get a position of power and a position of authority in your kingdom. Now, they're asking that question from a totally different vantage point than you and I see or understand kingdom. For them at this point, there is no cross, there is no resurrection, there is no ascension, there is no baptism of the Holy Spirit, there's no birthing of the church. So in their mind, uh, when Messiah comes, he is going to create a political revolution and rule and reign on planet earth there and then. They believe Jesus to be the Messiah. And so what they're asking is, Jesus, when it all goes down, when you take over, when this whole plan goes into action, obviously you're going to need some wingmen. You're going to need some role buddies. You're going to need some people to be able to participate. You, you're probably going to need like, like a deputy messiah or a, or a secretary of salvation or maybe like an ambassador of holiness or, or even a senator, a senator of sanctification. You're going to need some people. You're going to need some people that are going to, you know, be in power. How, how do we get that job? How do we get kingdom authority? Now, that's the context of the rest of what Jesus is about to say. Jesus then grabs a little child in verse 2 and sets the child in the midst of them. Now, the child is not the subject. Often when you hear the next few verses preached on, it, it's, it's taught about how we should look after children. And I guess you could sort of do that, but the child is, is not the context. The child is actually the illustration. The context is how do we have kingdom power and kingdom authority? So Jesus brings the child into the middle, predominantly because in that day, the child had no value. It wasn't like today, oh, little cute little Johnny, and Johnny's a spoiled brat. No, in that day, they, 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 they didn't count Johnny in any equation of any value. So the child is brought in in verse 2, and then from verse 3, Jesus just starts dropping bombs on kingdom authority. In verse 3, he said, if you want kingdom authority, you need to come in uh, and repent and come in like a little child. In verse 4, he says, if you want kingdom authority, you need to humble yourself as this little child, and then you'll be the greatest. In verse 5, he says, you want kingdom authority, then you need to realize how you treat other people is a direct representation on how you treat Jesus. In verse 6, he says, if you take advantage of this humility and this humble state that people come in, then you're going to be in deep yogurt. In verse 7 to 9, he says, Beware of offenses and try not to offend anybody. In other words, children, please play nicely. 
Verse 10 to 11, he says, don't treat each other arrogantly. In verse 12 to 14, he says, lost people matter to the Father. And then in verse 15, he says, but if you do get offended, if you do get hurt, if you do get wounded, if somebody upsets you, let me just, just for the sake of an illustration, raise your hand here if you've ever been wounded, offended, disappointed, upset by somebody, even in church. Give me a wave of your hand. Yes, it's not a question of are you. It's a matter of who is it going to be? When is it going to happen? How bad is it? And more specifically, according to this, how do you handle it? Jesus says, if you want kingdom authority, then you need to learn how to handle wounds, offenses, disappointments. In fact, he goes further and he says, you have a responsibility to reconcile it. When we get hurt, we think the person who hurt us has a responsibility to reconcile it. Jesus says, no, if you want kingdom authority, when you get hurt, you have a responsibility to reconcile it. He says, the first thing you do is go and talk to them about it. Build a bridge. Try to, try to make it right with that person. Because often when somebody hurts us, we judge them by their actions. When we hurt somebody, we want to be judged by our intentions. Well, I didn't mean it like that. But we don't judge somebody else's intention. We judge the action. So Jesus said, you have a responsibility. You try to work it out. Then he says, if that doesn't work, take somebody with you and try to work it out. If that doesn't work, then get the church involved and try to work it out. If that doesn't work, then have another shot at the whole process. Then if it doesn't work after all of that, then you disconnect. But don't disconnect initially. Bible says, as far as it depends on you, you be at peace with all men. It doesn't mean you're going to get on with everybody. It just means it's your responsibility to do your best to be at peace with all men. Now, now, now I'm not sure if there's a more important principle that we need to have in church life right now because we probably are the most easily offendable generation ever to exist on the planet. Now, I made that comment in Canada last year, and a young guy came up to the pastor at the end of the service, and he says, Pastor, I was really offended when that guy said that we're the most easily offendable generation. I thought, sir, you are now a sermon illustration. I'm a pastor. I don't have circumstances. I have illustrations. Nothing ever happens to me. It happens for me. So I've got a story. But we are. We're just, it's, it's, it's crazy how easily offended. You know, in, in, in the last election, again, this is not a political statement, but in the last election, when President Trump was voted in, a, a university on the East Coast, uh, the students were so traumatized by the election result that they had to create a safe room so these people could go and process the trauma of the election. And it got worse. They bought them in puppies. They bought them in little puppies so they could cuddle a puppy in the safe room to process the election. Like, these are not children. These are adult people studying to be your attorney. I do not want an attorney that needs to cuddle a puppy every time that they get upset about something. And I've and I got to be honest with you, if an election result traumatizes you so much, you need to cuddle a puppy and have a safe room, life is going to beat the tar out of you. You are not going to survive life. You better buy yourself a flock of puppies because there's bigger stuff coming at your face right now that you will not. It is crazy as a, as a preacher. It's terrifying to preach now because people are so, I probably offended you already and I haven't even tried. <laughs> Give me a couple of moments. We'll get there yet. In Chicago, I live in Chicago and if, if, if I'm preaching and I do any sort of a foreign accent or make any sort of a joke like that, any way like that, they, they edit it out of the podcast. So they won't, they won't, we won't offend anybody of that nationality because I'm trying to sound like them. I'm an Australian, if you haven't guessed. 
I live in America. There's probably not a week that goes by where someone doesn't come up to me trying to do an Australian accent. G'day, mate. How you going? Chuck another shrimp on the bubby. You know, they're just like... And not once has anybody ever done that, that I've responded with a... Are you trying to sound like me? Not once have I... Now I've responded like this. Because <laughs> that's the correct response. You know, most times we get offended. It's actually not what the person said. It's how we've heard what the person has said. We actually, most times we're offended, we're offended by ourselves, Because our filter. I had a girl write me an email. She was all offended. She said, Pastor, you preached last week. I enjoyed the message. But you said, you said that Peter... Uh, denied Jesus like a little girl. And so she sent me an article on fight like a girl and all these things and went on and on and on. And, and she was offended. And I, I wrote back and I said, you know, thank you for at least taking time out to write. I appreciate that. And I said, most times I offend people by stuff I say. I said, in your case, I offended you by something I actually didn't say. I said, go back and listen to the message. I never said at all that Peter denied Jesus like a little girl. I said, Peter denied Jesus to a little girl, which is actually what happened. But she changed to to like, and she got offended by something that she thought I heard. Her filter offended her. I, I was preaching in Minneapolis on Super Bowl Sunday a couple of years ago. And I love, I love football. It's just the way I'm wired. I love mindless violence. It's just, I apologize for that, but it's just the way I'm wired. I, I, I read some of the Old Testament and I'm thinking, why is that in there? And I'm convinced that it's in there because God thought I thought it would be awesome. <laughs> that may sound a little selfish, but, but I sort of got this vision of God saying to the angels, do you think we should put that in there? And they're like, John Morgan will think it's awesome. <laughs> okay, let's put it in there. It's just... So I was talking about how I love American football, but I'm not a big fan of baseball. And I didn't grow up with baseball. Again, I'm Australian. I didn't grow up with baseball. And so I know some of you are baseball. I've had baseball lovers come up to me and go, you've got to understand the game of baseball. Because my baseball is just like nine innings and you score a run. It's like, come on, we need some more action, man. It's, it's just like soccer with a bat, you know? And so it's like, and so it just takes forever to get a point. And... And so, and, and if you're a baseball lover, I know what you're going to say, John, you've got to understand it's all about the statistics and stuff like that. I just got to be honest with you. I don't want my math mixed with anything. Don't go bringing mathematics into sport. Keep mathematics out there in the classroom with the math teacher. Don't, when they, when, in school, when they mixed math and English and gave me algebra, mix with my head. Separate those things out. Keep them apart. Don't want my math and sport. Let sport be just on its own. And so, so anyway, so I'm preaching on, and so I'm thinking, here's what you could do. Because this seems to me like it's easy for the fielder to get the ball. Maybe it's not. It just seems to be, he's like out there, oh, here comes a ball. He's got a huge gob. You know, you're out. It's just, that's just so hard for the batter. So I'm thinking, make it hard for the fielder. So I'm suggesting what we do is not all the time, just every now and then, just once in a while, and you just like hit a button. The coach is in the dugout. He's just like, now, boom, hits a button and releases pit bulls. Pit bulls to chase the ball down. How hard is it now? The fielders are out there trying to dodge the pit bulls and catch the ball. I call that awesome. What could be harder than pit bulls? Ah, set the pit bulls on fire. Flaming pit bulls. Flaming pit bulls coming at you. Well, anyway, this lady wrote me an email and she was unbelievably angry at my cruelty to the pit bulls. She was going to report me to Peter for setting the pit bulls on fire. She was just like angry as all get out and... And she's like, you know, and so we went to her Facebook page and she was a dog lover. She loved dogs. Every photo was her with a dog. She's like a chihuahua. She's holding a sausage dog. Every, every, every photo, every photo of her was with dogs. She loved dogs, you know. And so all, her filter was like, not about baseball, that you, you're hurting a dog, you know. And 
So I had to write back to her, and I'm, so I'm very sorry you're offended by what I said, and i just like to let you know that no dogs actually were injured in my joke. I said, I didn't have time to tell this before I told my joke, but every time I tell that joke, I take time out to specifically dress the pit bulls up in fireproof suits so none get wounded in my joke and can't say too much for the fielder. He didn't survive real well, but the dogs are okay. The dogs are okay. And So Jesus says, when you, when, you, when, you, when you get offended, when you get hurt, if you want spiritual authority, you've got to learn how to deal with it. You've got to take authority over all the stuff that's trying to take authority over you. Then he goes on in verse 18, he says, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them, my Father, in heaven. For two or three gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst. He's saying, listen, if you want spiritual authority, then you've got to take authority. You're going to take authority over all the things that are sent to try to take authority over you. You've got to learn to deal with all the things that try to hurt you, disappoint you, frustrate you, take you out. You've got to learn how to forgive. Amen. Well, then that leads us to the second question with the agenda. Peter comes out and he says, well, then how many times should I forgive my brother? If we're talking about forgiveness and spiritual authority... He says, how many times should I forgive my brother? And then he answers his question. Seven times? He says, should I forgive him seven times? Now, now, this is a question with an agenda. Because Jesus is talking about how you have authority. In that day, generous forgiveness by the rabbis was you'd forgive somebody three times. If you forgive them three times, you're huge in generosity. So Peter comes out with his number seven times to make a statement because he's like double generosity and added tax. Like if it's normal to forgive three times, Peter's like, I'm going to blow your mind. How many times should I, if we've got authority by forgiven, how many times should we forgive? Like seven? Because this is our sort of, this is how I imagine it. This is sort of how I see it going down. Peter's like, okay, guys, okay, guys, gather around. Gather around, gentlemen. Everyone gather around here. Yes, I am Peter. I am the rock. Look and learn, gentlemen. Look and learn. Jesus is talking about spiritual authority and how to have it. Watch the master. Watch the master in action. So Peter comes out, hey, Jesus, um, you're talking about how we have spiritual authority and how we need to forgive people. So I'm wondering, how many times should I forgive somebody? If I was going to forgive somebody, I'm rolling out the number. I'm thinking, if I'm picking a number, if I'm thinking of a number between one and ten, if I'm just going to roll out a number, I'm thinking I should forgive them up to seven times. And he sort of anticipated that Jesus would go, Yea, verily and therefore, Peter, and yea, again, even I, the Lord, would say, Thou comest out with that number just like that out of the blue, no even announcement, no even warning that that's coming. You're just rolling out the number. I was thinking maybe we could forgive them three times, maybe four times, stretching it out even five, but thou was coming out with the number seven, just dropping it like it's hot. And thou blowest my mind with the hugeness of the, you are the man. That's, that's sort of what he, that's what he anticipated Jesus would say. But Jesus responded with, eh. yeah. Wrong, answer. Wrong answer. Why, why, don't, why, don't we go, why don't we go with 70 times 7? Why, why don't we just roll, if you want kingdom authority, with an unlimited supply of forgiveness, where it, where it just never stops, where it goes beyond normal. Then he says, there was a king who had a servant who owed him 10,000 talents. He goes into the parable that we talked about at the start. And then he outlines, I believe, principles that you and I need to live by if we're going to grasp onto this whole concept of authority through uh, forgiveness, the cajillionaire mindset. 
Now, here's the bottom line. Jesus never asked us to do anything he wouldn't do. You think of the cross. They'd thrown everything at him. They, they, they lied about him through false accusation. They, they'd beaten him with their fists. They scourged him within inches of his life. They spat on him. They made a crown of thorns. They put it in his head to mock him. They stripped him naked to humiliate him. They hung him on the cross to inflict as much pain as humanly possible. Uh, Jesus looked down upon them and he made this comment. He says, Father, please forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. If you want to operate in this kajillionaire mindset of this unlimited forgiveness, the first thing that you've got to do is you've got to learn how to receive the promise. You've got to learn how to receive the promise. When Jesus went to the cross, he didn't go to the cross for his sin. He wasn't trying to get his life right. When Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross so his blood would be shed for our sin. And it wasn't for select sins. It wasn't for a few sins. It wasn't for a, a limited supply. When, when Jesus went to the cross, he bled for all of our sin. That the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all of our sin. That is past, that is present, and that is future. That there is nothing that the blood of Jesus Christ can't cleanse. There's no level of forgiveness that, that you can have some sin that that forgiveness can't apply to. That Jesus has come to forgive you and wipe out all your debt. We go to him like the guy that is 200,000 years in debt with an overwhelming amount of, and, and we go to God and he says, I've, I've paid it off. I, I, I've wiped it out. I've, I, I've cleansed you from all your sin and you need to learn you need to learn how to receive the promise because some of you here today you're still walking around in shame and in guilt and in disappointment of stuff that heaven has no record of you're still upset with yourself for doing something. You're still embarrassed about something that you've done. You're still carrying shame about something that you did years ago or maybe even just as recent as last. You're carrying shame for something that you've gone to God and said, God, please forgive me. And God has wiped that out under the blood. You may be backtracking and going back and repenting for sin that's already been forgiven. And you're talking to God about something that he's going, look, I, I don't know how to break it to you, but we're checking your records here. And we go to that file and all we see is the blood of Jesus. And you've got to learn to forgive you. It's hard to forgive anybody else if you can't first start at the point of forgiving you and knowing that God is forgiving you. It's a little bit like love. It's hard to love your neighbor like you love yourself if at first you don't love yourself. You've got to get to that point and realize that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all your sin. It'll be a little bit like the guy that the king wrote out 200,000 years and wiped it out. And the guy goes back and goes, listen, 200,000 years is too much. Maybe I should still owe you a thousand. He's like, well, that's still unpayable. I still don't have a thousand years to wait. No, when he was forgiven the debt, the king wiped it all out. You got to get to that point where you get your head up, shoulders back, look at the world in the eye and go, I'm not an ex anything. I'm a new creation. All the old has passed away. Behold, all things become new. I'm not an ex anything. I, I, I'm not carrying guilt for something I did years ago. It's under the blood of Jesus Christ. Second thing you've got to learn how to do is reciprocate the privilege. You've got to learn, and that in essence is the real authority coming here. You've got to learn how to reciprocate the privilege. Jesus said, Father, please forgive them. For him to say that meant that he'd forgiven. We, we've got to learn how to forgive. This is, this is the parable. This is what Jesus is talking about. Is authority through learning how to forgive. When Jesus taught us to pray, he said, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. The only bit in the prayer he repeats, when he does the amen, he backtracks. He's like, look, you've got to get this bit. Because if you don't get this bit, you don't get the whole bit. You've got to learn how to forgive those who've sinned against you like you want to be forgiven. In the parable, when the guy goes out and refuses to forgive 
the third of a year of debt, every one of us went, that's wrong. We all knew that, hey, that, that's jacked up. That, that's, that's not right. You, can, you just got forgiven 200,000 and you don't forgive a third? Well, that's in essence what Jesus is saying. I've forgiven you so much. Why, why would you hold on to little tiny offenses? You're never going to deal with real big stuff and big stuff happens and that needs to be forgiven if you can't forgive the little stuff. Now, now, now forgiveness is not ignoring that it happened. It's actually acknowledging that it happened and taking authority over it. Forgiveness is not pretending it didn't hurt you. It's acknowledging that it hurt you, but you are bigger than the hurt. Forgiveness acknowledges that the person can never give back to you what you feel like they took from you. Because what, what happens is somebody hurts you in a certain way. And you go, I was okay until you did that to me. But you took my peace. And now I've got anxiety and fear. And I was okay until you did that. But you robbed my peace. When you don't forgive, what you're saying is, I want you to give me my peace back. I was okay until you did that to me, but you took my joy. And I want you to give me that joy back. I was okay until you did that to me, but you took my confidence. I want you to give me my confidence back. I was okay until you did that to me, but you robbed me of my purity. And I want you to give me my purity back. What forgiveness does is it looks at that situation and goes, that person can never give me back what they took from me. That guy can never pay me back 200,000 years of debt. That's an impossible thing. He doesn't have the ability, he doesn't have the resource to give that back to me. And so he can. what forgiveness does is it says, look, you can never give that back. To, they can never give that back to me. It needs to be given back to me, but they can't give it back to me. And so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to draw on the resource of heaven because my heavenly father has the resources to give that back to me. So I'm going to tap into my heavenly bank account and you can't pay me back the 200,000 years of debt, but my God shall supply all my needs. And so I can download that income into a check and I can write out the check and go, we're paid here. We're done here. You can't give it back, but my Father in heaven, you can't give me my peace back, but I can get the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. That'll keep my heart and mind in the knowledge. I, I, you can't give me my joy back. I don't need you to. Because I've got joy unspeakable and full of I can drop joy from the wells of salvation. I don't care what they rob from you. They can't give it back to you. But the good news is you don't need them to. Because whatever you need back, your heavenly Father can supply the resource. All you've got to do is just download it from the bank account of heaven and cut the check and move on. You've got to learn how to reciprocate the privilege. Here's the third thing you need to learn how to do is you need to learn how to reconfigure the judgment. And I think when it comes to forgiveness, this is the one we struggle with. What do I do next? Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them, he was saying, Dad, we're done here. Because the Bible says you forgive and then leave the vengeance to God. It says you forgive, let God have the revenge. Don't try to take the revenge. Let God have the revenge. But Jesus is saying, Father, we don't need any revenge. We can, we can be done here. It stops. It, it's, it's not a big enough issue to carry on any, any further past this point. Now, that bit there, the, the, the judgment bit, is the bit that most of us get wrong. Because we just think we forgive, and then that's the end of the story. No, there needs to be judgment needs to be reconfigured. Now, sometimes that, that judgment is, is like, like they offended you. They looked at you the wrong way in church today. And you're like, Father, I forgive them. Maybe they're having a bad day. Do you need to take it any further? Probably not. Probably not. So just let it go. If it happened regularly, then judgment may be, I need to go and talk to them about it and let them know that that hurts when they do that and try to reconcile it. That may be the next step. We've got to learn how to reconfigure the judgment. Because I can forgive you, but I may never trust you again. If I cut the check for 200,000 years of money, and you ask me for five bucks on Monday, my answer is going to be no. Well, I thought you forgave me. Yeah, I did. You don't owe me the 200,000 years, but I'm not giving you another dollar. Why? Because I don't trust you. You earn trust. I give you forgiveness. 
Yeah, you, 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 I can forgive you, but I'm never going to let you in my house again. I won't let you around my children. Does that make sense? Because I just don't trust you. That's reconfiguring the judgment. Or even more so, in this particular passage, uh, when, they, when they reconfigure the judgment, he said uh, the, 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 the king found out that the servant had thrown the other guy in jail. And he says, look, bring him, bring him out here. And then he threw him in jail, not because he owed him the money, because of the offense that he did to somebody else. Now, I don't have time to really talk about this long, and so I'll try to be brief. But let's talk about real big stuff that needs forgiveness. Like the big stuff, not just somebody offended you in church. Let's talk about you were sexually abused when you were little. Do you need to forgive them? The answer is yes. They cannot give back to you what they stole from you. You don't need them to. Your heavenly father can heal you. Your heavenly father can bring the purity. Your heavenly father can bring the wholeness. If they're alive and still in your world, should you trust them again? Never. Even more so, if they can repeat, repeat, offend, and you haven't brought it out into the open, should you bring it out into the open? Should you expose what happened? The answer is yes. Not out of vengeance, not out of I want you to pay, I want you to go to jail and pay. So that, it, Forgiveness takes that bitterness out. Authority goes, I'm done, you don't hurt me anymore, but I will not let you do that to anybody else. Now, the truth is, for that step out, could open up a world of, of all sorts of stuff for you. So if that's your story, before you step out of the darkness, you need to probably come and talk to a pastor or, or, or a leader or somebody and go, I need help here. That's not a journey you want to do alone. That's not a journey you want to do on your own. Now, you, you need to have church family and strength around you. You need wisdom to guide you through the process. But you probably need to step out of the darkness and get authority over it. Again, not to punish them, but to make sure that they can't do that to anybody else again. Does that make sense? So, so judgment often needs wisdom, and you need to get counsel on that. And then the, the third and last sort of simply this is you need to repurpose the pain. Got to learn how to repurpose the pain. If I can have somebody come up and play. Here we Perfect timing. Man, we are like, we are onto it. You are the man. You are the man. What key are you playing in? C. I was preaching in the key of C. <laughs> that is unbelievable. Just like that, it's a church of excellence. If you're visiting here today, never been in church before, and you wonder why we get the keyboard up at the end, um, we do it deliberately. Everything I say now is going to sound unbelievably spiritual. Some people in the building were like, hey, bro, we're done with the jokes. We want some meat. We want some meat of the Word. It doesn't really matter what I say now. If I speak slowly with some music behind me, it all sounds like meat. Those people are going to leave and go, that's the most deepest message I've ever heard in my whole life. That man is a theologian. That's just because of the music that we're playing. And also, it's sort of like a little bit of a community service because there's bound to be a couple of people with ADHD in here today. And around about now in the message, you're like, we're nearly done. We're nearly done. Music, then they're like... It's almost like fistfuls of Ritalin to the soul. It's beautiful. Here's the last thought. It's simply this. Got to learn how to repurpose the pain. Learn how to repurpose the pain. Jesus made this comment. He said, Father, please forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Here's the truth. They knew exactly what they were doing. They were professional executioners. This wasn't their first crucifixion. They did this for a living. And everything that they did, they did deliberately to inflict as much humiliation and as much pain on Jesus as humanly possible. So Jesus wasn't saying, Father, please forgive them. This was a bit of an accident. What he was saying is, Dad, they have no idea. They're actually setting me up for my destiny. Now, he didn't say, Father, forgive them, it doesn't hurt. 
He wasn't saying, Father, forgive them, well, let's do it again. Now, the Bible says, who for the joy that was set before him was able to endure the pain of the cross. So at no point is he going, hey, the pain's okay. I'm okay with this. It doesn't hurt. No, he, he was hurting. He was in pain. But what he was saying is, despite the pain, I can't ignore the pain. But there's joy on the other side of my pain. There's life on the other side of this pain. So, Father, please forgive them. And he was able to weave purpose into his pain. In the Old Testament, there's a story of a young man. His name was Joseph. And when he was a young boy, uh, he dreamed big dreams. He was a spoiled brat. His brothers hated him. They hated him so much that at one point they conspired to kill him. And they go, let's not do that because then we'd, we'd have blood on our own hands. They're like, let's just nudge him into a pit. Then he'll die in the pit and he'll die, but we won't have blood on our hands. That was the second plan. Third plan, not much better. Oh, here's some Midianite traders. Let's sell him into slavery. He'll die in slavery. He won't survive. And we make money. That's a great plan. That's what they do. They sell him into slavery and they make money off him. They think he's dead. Decades pass. Decades. Their land is in famine. They're starving to death. The only one in the known world that they know who's got food is Pharaoh. They make a trek down to Pharaoh's kingdom and they meet with the number two guy. When they meet with the second most powerful man in the world at that time, they realize about halfway through the conversation, this is Joseph. This is the kid we sold into slavery to die. He's now got our life in his hands. They freak out. They think he's going to kill him. Tears streaming down Joseph's face. He looks at his brothers and he says this. I love it. He says, you meant it for evil. He didn't give him a pass. He didn't go, it's okay. He's like, you meant it for evil. What you did was wrong, man. What you did was wrong. That was evil. That was a terrible thing you did. He says, but God. But God. You meant it for evil. What you did was messed up. But God had a bigger plan. You, you, thought, you thought you were in control, but my, 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 my daddy never let me be out of his hand. You meant it for evil. What you did was wrong, I, but I've forgiven you. Because I've forgiven you because I've got authority over it. You, you can't give me back what you stole from me. And I don't need you to give me back what you stole from me. But God, my God who is in heaven was looking after me. And now I'm riding the second chariot. I'm the second most powerful man on the planet right now. What he could have said was this, Judah, get out here. Judah, get out here. Judah, you're my oldest brother. You should look after me. But you didn't. But God. Because Judah, if, 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 if you died in the famine, listen to this. If you died, he could have said this. If you died in the famine, Messiah would have died in you. Joseph had no idea. We, we can see that from our side of the cross. Messiah was in Judah. That whole deal was put on to keep Judah alive. Why? So you and I could have salvation. If Judah dies, you and I can't get saved. There is no Jesus. If Joseph doesn't walk through his pain, Judah doesn't get saved in the famine. So Joseph's story was weaved into your and I ability, our ability to get saved. And God's still doing the same thing. Jesus said it, Father, forgive them they don't know what they're doing because without me doing this right now going through my pain no one in Kingman today has an opportunity to get their life right with God so he weaved his pain into his purpose that's like your pain I don't know what you've walked through but when you get on the other side of it and you get healed and get authority there's somebody sitting at work that needs to hear your story there's somebody who's walking through a divorce right now and they don't know how to get to the other side but you've been through that pain and you've got healed and you're on the other side. There's somebody at work that's walking through abuse and you've walked through abuse and you've forgiven and you've got onto the other side and you've got authority. They need to hear your story. There's someone who's hurt like you've hurt and they need to hear how you got healed so you can bring your story and your healing into helping them get healed. That's how God works. That's how you get kingdom authority. That's what forgiveness is all about. That's what wholeness is all about. That's how God weaves all that stuff and makes something great out of our worst scenarios.
That's how we get kingdom authority. That's the kajillionaire mindset, that life is bigger than any one of us, that God uses our pain to bring healing to other people's pain. It's all about the big purpose of God in our world. Why don't you stand with me right now, right across this place? Maybe the whole band could come up. Are they here? We've still got people that are here from the worship team. If they're not, it doesn't really matter. But if you're here, if you could come. Just right across this building. Don't, don't, don't walk out the door yet. Just, just close your eyes right across this building right now. So the Holy Spirit come. 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 Ask Him that right now. Come on, right across this building. Say, Holy Spirit come. Holy Spirit come. Holy Spirit come. Holy Spirit come. Spirit of God, overshadow us right now, we pray. Holy Spirit come. the Holy Spirit speaking to me about people that are in the room and, and the words that the Holy Spirit I hear him saying is trauma and tragedy now I'm not sure if it's the same person and they're, they're two things in the same person or there are a set of people that are experiencing trauma right now in, in their life it's traumatic it's it's not only heartbreaking it's 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 messing with your nervous and messing there's anxiety and there's stress and there's anger and there's frustration there's also there's, there's trauma in your life and then there's others that are walking through tragedy you're walking through loss and there's brokenness and 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 there's that feeling of like oh where do i go from here it's like confusion i believe that i believe that god wants to minister to you today i believe he wants to minister to you in this moment so i want to ask you to do if that if, if god's speaking to you if that's you it may only be one person maybe two maybe more but if that describes you right at the moment, you're like, man, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying. I'm hearing what you're saying. I sort of believe, I believe it. I just don't know how to apply it. This thing is overwhelming. Trauma and trauma, it's overwhelming. I, I don't know how to get through to the other side. And you're like, can someone please stand with me and pray with me today? We're going to sing this song. And if I'm talking about you, then I want you to quickly get out of your seat and just come down the front. We're going to have pastors. We've got pastors here. They're going to come and stand with you. We're going to pray over you. We're not going to take long. We're not going to take forever. We'll spend some time ministering you. We're going to do a general prayer in a moment. Uh, but I really feel like we should stop at the moment for those people that God's speaking to me about. It'd be wrong for us just to exit out of here without taking time out to pray for those. So can we sing? And as you sing the song, if that's true, if I'm, if I'm talking to you right now, why don't you just come and stand down the front and allow, allow God to minister to you today. Trauma or tragedy, you come down the front right now. We're going to pray with you. You have been so, so good to me.
second. We'll hold out for a second. You come. If you know you need to be here, just get out of your seat and come and stand. We'll have leaders stand with you. you just come and stand down the front. Wonderful God. Those that are here at the front, just look at me for a second. Just one, one moment. Here's the amazing thing uh, about, about God. And I feel like before we pray for you, you need to know this. Um, out of all the people that are here, He... he he called for you for prayer. I think he just wants to remind you you're not alone. You're not forgotten. God's not, God's not away from you. He's not distant from you. Um, and he just wants you to let you know if he's close to us today. So you can walk out of here, you know, and at some point when that thing tries to overwhelm you again, you can go, hang on a second. He pulled me out of the crowd. He stopped the whole service. We didn't do this in the first service. It's not a, it's not a repeat. This, this wasn't in my, this not in my notes or my plan. As I was praying to wrap up, I felt the Holy Spirit drop those two words in me. So it's like He handpicked you. He handpicked you. It's like I don't, I don't I don't want you to leave today feeling like you don't matter. I don't want you to leave today feeling like God's just like just brushing over you and ignore. Does that make sense? He wants He wants you to know how special and how important you are. And so we as a church right now, as your church family, leaders are gathered around you and the whole church is backing you right now. You got hundreds of people standing with you right now, loving on you, believing with you, caring for you. Leaders, can we pray? Can you guys just start to pray for these people right now? Church, can you stretch your hands out? Just start to pray for those people. You can, Father, we just thank you right now for your healing power. Come on, God. We the stories here, God, that 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 need miracles. The stories here, God, that need your intervention. There are people here, God, that need your power to come in a significant way right now. God, we pray for that trauma. Lord God, we pray for that tragedy today. In Jesus' name, we pray that you turn situations around, Lord God, that you would move divinely by supernatural power. God, you'd make a way where there is no way. You'd bring healing, Lord God, where it feels like there can be no healing. Lord God, you just show them the hand your miraculous hand, God, that you would just move by your power here today, God. Come on, God, move by your power right now. Move by your spirit. Come on, leaders, pray out. Pastors, pray. Pray in faith. Pray louder. Pray stronger right now. God, we reach out to you today. We're crying out. God, move by your supernatural power, God. Supernatural power. Lord God, let there be healing. Let there be breakthrough. Let there be miracles. Soften hearts. In Jesus' name. 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 name. Pastor, why don't you come? As Pastor comes, I I want us to pray. Now, Now, you don't have to leave here. Leaders can stay with you. You can pray for a little while. I don't want this just to be a little little prayer moment. Some of these people are going to need somebody standing with them for a few moments. And, uh, but I do want to be mindful of everybody else. Can we just close our eyes right across this building? Maybe you're here today and you're not right with God. Maybe you've never asked Jesus to come into your world. And you came to church today seeking a fresh start in life. Uh, we want to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer for a brand new start right now. Or maybe you've been away from God and you want to come home. Uh, today's your day. We're all going to pray this prayer. I'm going to invite everybody to pray this prayer. But if you know you're not right with God and you want to get life right with God today, this is your moment. This is your prayer. And so I'm going to invite everybody in the building to pray this prayer with me. Uh, but God's going to hear your words if you make it personal. 
and he'll come into your world today. Pray this, everyone pray this with me. Say, dear Jesus, I come to you today. I'm asking you for a fresh start, a brand new start in my life and relationship with you. Please forgive me of all my sin. Make today a brand new day and give me the strength to forgive those who've sinned against me. Today, I ask you to come into my world and to come into my life. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. Come on, let's give Jesus Christ. Isn't God good? You know, I want to tell you something. This is so powerful. You need to hear these words. He said something right at the end there that we need to get into our spirit. This is a fresh start. It's a brand new day. The Bible tells us God's mercies are new every morning. And there are people here that you have been in a situation so long that you can't remember it any other way. Well, I want to tell you that's the great thing about God is God takes old things and he makes them brand new. And he, he doesn't take, look at you're not new, old equipment with new parts. You are a brand new creation. He does something brand new. And that's what's happened here today. And you say, well, I don't necessarily feel it. I don't know it. You expect it because that's who you are right now. Can you say amen? Such a powerful message. Let's give Brother John a big hand. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let me ask you a question. How, how many would like to see him come back? Amen. I think we'll have you back, bro. Hallelujah. We love you. We appreciate you. We are going to let you go today. Love one another as you go. Celebrate Jesus. Have a good time. You know what? We kept you a little longer, so that means the crowds at Chili's are going to be down. You're going to be fine. Amen. You have a good day. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.